Please take a seat, folks. Wasn't that baptism absolutely fantastic? It was wonderful. And uh, it was great that we've got people uh, here who were part of what we call an Alpha course here at the church. And Alpha, first out of the Greek alphabet, means first things first, start beginning. Uh, you heard Rain say that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the one who's without beginning and without end. And at the Alpha course, um, Rain was able to deepen that faith, which was wonderful. And she wasn't the only one who came to faith and has been baptized. So it's fantastic. So what we're going to do now is we're going to come to Scripture, to uh, the Bible. And this book is like a love letter from heaven. I was so relieved when the person sitting next to me was willing to explain uh, how they would tell someone they love them. Uh, and they, they nailed it straight away. And it's exactly what I was going to say. Tell them you love them. And then do something. Give them a hug to show that. There are many, many different ways. God has shown us that he loves us through Scripture. And he's shown that he loves us through sending Jesus. Through coming in Jesus. So we're going to pray now. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to use the psalm that uh, we've had this series in. Psalm 23 as a basis for my prayer. So if you're willing, let's just bow our heads, close our eyes, and let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you're a good shepherd, a loving shepherd, and that when we put our trust in you as shepherd, we lack nothing. There are times, Lord, when you might make us lie down in green pastures, when we're stressed and harassed and tired and stretched and charging around. Thank you that you make us lie down in green pastures. Thank you that you lead us beside beautiful, quiet waters and you refresh our soul. Thank you that you're the shepherd who guides us along right paths for your name's sake. And thank you that even though we might walk through the darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death, we don't need to fear any evil because you're with us and your rod and your staff, they can comfort us. Indeed, you prepare a table, Father, before us in the presence of our enemies. You anoint our heads with oil and our cups can overflow. And Father, thank you for this promise we're going to look at just now, where we read, surely your goodness and your love will follow us, chase after us, pursue us, just after you pursued rain with your love and goodness. And that you'll do that all the days of our earthly life. And if we come to understand and know and love you as rain has, we can dwell in your house, the house of the Lord, forever. So Father, help me to help each one of us and help each one of us to understand your love as we look now at the final verse of this psalm. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. I wonder if it's not too embarrassing for you. Don't do it if you don't want to, but it's not as embarrassing as asking how you'd express your love for someone. Just choose someone nearby and uh, tell them that goodness is chasing them. Just tell them, goodness is chasing you. Goodness is chasing you. And the reason that goodness is chasing you today is that God is chasing you, all of you. Now, I stand here, and some people know this far too well. I stand here as someone who didn't understand, didn't know, and wasn't interested in God for the first 32 years of my life. And then God broke into my life. I was a scientist, I was an atheist, and God broke into my life. But it's only since coming to understand God's love 
and that God was pursuing me, I can see the times when he was actually pursuing me, chasing me. Now, there's a verse that we're going to look at here. It's the sixth and final verse, and it says this. You'll see it behind me. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It can be put another way in a different translation of the Bible. The translation that I've just read is a New International Version from the New Living Translation. It says this. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me. In another version, the message it says will chase after me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's as if this good shepherd comes looking for us. The good shepherd chases us, he pursues us. And the Bible's full of uh, pictures of bad shepherds and good shepherds and God speaks through his prophets about those kings, those leaders, those rulers who are not loving, they're not compassionate, they're just out for what they can get. Ever seen any leaders like that or politicians like that, you know? Maybe a few. And they're called bad shepherds. But the good shepherd, who Jesus describes himself to be, and we'll come to that, is that image of God, the God who is loving and compassionate, the God whose goodness chases us. And this word surely speaks of an absolute certainty. An old-fashioned word is verily. Another expression that Jesus used was truly I tell you, verily, surely. When God says surely, it speaks of an absolute certainty. So just turn again, if you can face this to the people either side of you and say, surely. Surely. Now, surely goodness chases after you. Surely mercy chases. Now, there's, there's only Shirley Kersey who might have got confused then, okay? But everyone else should be okay. You see, David was himself a shepherd boy. And the shepherd boy became a shepherd king, a good king. A king, the Bible says, after God's heart. And this psalm is a beautiful worship song, like the ones we've been singing. It's one of the best known ones. It's one of the ones that's often used, particularly at a Thanksgiving or a funeral service. When people face death itself. And David could say in the very first verse, the Lord is my shepherd. It was intensely personal. God's not just out there and remote and detached. No, David says God is my shepherd. It's up close and personal for me. That's true for many people in here. Perhaps not everyone, but for many people here, and certainly for Rain, she can tell you the moment when she suddenly realised, yeah, he's my shepherd. And she's declared that to us all this morning wonderfully. Thank you for your testimony, Ren. It was great. The series has looked at each verse separately. And we've discovered that in verse 1, we don't lack anything. I lack nothing. David could say, I am refreshed. He could say, I'm guided. He could say, I am unafraid. Even in the darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death, I'm unafraid. And David could say, my cup overflows. And Chris told us last week that in the... Uh, in that ancient times when this was very, very relevant, a really good host would let you know it was time to go when they stopped filling your cup up. But if they really wanted to show how much they loved you being there, they'd fill your cup until it absolutely overflowed. So just imagine on Christmas Day when you've got your best tablecloth on and all the decorations out and the host wants to show how valued you are as a guest and they just keep pouring the Merlot. Or if you're Christian, that non-alcoholic fruit juice or whatever, you know, maybe or maybe not. But it overflows, and that's God's love. And we come to the final verse where we hear that goodness chases us. He chases and pursues us. And sometimes, let's be honest, I don't know about you, I can only speak for myself, we wander, don't we? 
Sometimes we wander so far, we get lost. Sometimes we're not even sure there is a God. Or maybe like me, for the first 32 years of your life, I was convinced there was no God, but he was pursuing me. So when we say, the Lord is my shepherd, from Psalm 23 and verse 1, I want to ask the question, well, who is this shepherd that David says is my shepherd? Who is he? And I'll unfold three things here and come back and look at them in turn. First of all, I think David was saying, my shepherd, and we can certainly know this from the teaching of Jesus, my shepherd's the good shepherd. My shepherd's the good shepherd. The series title, The Good Shepherd. Secondly, my shepherd is the Lamb of God. The shepherd who becomes a lamb. That sounds a bit strange. We'll get there. And thirdly and finally, and more unusually, uh, most unusually compared to the others, my shepherd is the hound of heaven. That comes from a great poem that we'll look at by Francis Thompson that he wrote in 1893. He was a Catholic poet and a mystic, and he wrote a poem, The Hound of Heaven. So let's look at the first one. My shepherd is the good shepherd. Let's listen to what Jesus said when he was teaching about him being the good shepherd. And bear in mind, he was speaking to religious leaders who he's suggesting are not very good shepherds, and they thought they were the bee's knees. They thought they were the greatest. And so he says in John chapter 10 and from verse 1, here it is, Verily, truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So there was a time when Jesus, well, not audibly perhaps, but in some way said, Rain, you're mine. I'm calling you. And Rain's sitting there nodding. And maybe God's calling some others today. Maybe he's calling you, like he called me at the age of 32. He's calling you by name. These Pharisees, these religious leaders, thought they'd got it all together. They thought they were already in. And he's suggesting, hang on a minute, don't be too sure. He goes on, he says, when he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow them, him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. There was something that Rain was recognizing about the voice of God, the voice of Jesus, through all that reading she was doing in that lockdown. And eventually God broke through to her through revelation. He brought revelation. He opened her eyes. She opened her heart. And he came in. Wow. Jesus used that figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore Jesus said again, verily, truly, I tell you, I'm the gate for the sheep. All who've come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They'll come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Abundant life. A life of uh, of delight and joy and freedom, not always without its challenges, but a life that's different to life without Jesus. And then he says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And in verse 14, a little bit further on, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. So, my shepherd is the good shepherd. If you're a believer today, your shepherd is a good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. 
But the strange thing is this shepherd is also the Lamb of God. And John the Baptist, at the baptism of Jesus, in John chapter 1 and verse 29, looked at Jesus and said to everyone listening, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How does that happen? How can someone become, metaphorically speaking, the Lamb of God and take away the sin of the world? Well, let's make it personal. How did Jesus take my sin away? You don't want to know some of the stuff I got up to till I was 32. Didn't rob any banks or murder anyone, but it was pretty colourful and checkered. How did he take away my sin? This is what the Bible calls the gospel, the good news. Because the good news, from old Anglo-Saxon terms, gospel, the good news is that anyone who puts their trust in Jesus finds the way into the loving embrace and an eternal relationship with a holy God who is so holy, he couldn't have anything to do with Clive up to the age of 32. He could pursue him, but not have a personal relationship. Why? Because of all the sin. Selfishness, S. Independence, I. N, neglect of God and other people. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of good people here. But the Bible says that we all fall short of the glory of God. There's none of us who haven't sinned, got it wrong. And deep down in our own innermost moments, we know that there are certain things we've done and said that in a better moment we would never have done, we'd never have said. There are certain things we thought in a better moment we'd never have thought them. And we don't want any of that displayed on that screen the way that Rain's baptism was. How did God deal with my sin, the Lamb of God? How did I take my sin away? We have to go back to the previous psalm, Psalm 23 we're reading from, but in Psalm 22, some of you will recognize some words of David again in this worship song, Psalm 22, very clearly. The very first verse of the previous psalm, Psalm 22, says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who said that? Jesus, hanging on the cross, dying in agony, with loss of blood, and suffocating as he tried to pull himself up on his nail-pierced hands and feet, felt in his humanity, even though he was the very son of God, God the son, felt as if God had forsaken him. Anyone ever, ever thought that? Anyone ever thought, well, if there is a God, he must be horrible, he must be cruel, he must be unkind, because he let that happen, he let that happen to me. I see some nodding heads, I get it. Jesus himself said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But just in his dying breaths, he said, it's finished, it's accomplished. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And three days later, hallelujah, he was resurrected. If you go on in that psalm to verse um, 14, the language is graphic. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It's melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, a piece of broken pottery. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet and all my bones are on display. And people stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. That's exactly what happened to Jesus. This is written hundreds of years before the crucifixion. It displays graphically with unusual language as David writes this worship song, something that is to happen to the good shepherd. He's going to be crucified. His bones are going to be out of place. 
He's going to be so dried up because of the loss of blood. A huge loss of blood. There are thieves either side of him. There are people hurling insults at him as he's stripped naked and nailed there. What on earth is that all about? Well, here's a gospel. Jesus died in my place. He paid the price for my sins. They blocked me from a relationship with the Holy God. He died in Rain's place. And as Chris said, some of the imagery of this is that her sins are washed away. She's got a new life. It's as if she died to the old life. She's cleansed of all her sins. And as if she's been resurrected to a new life with Jesus, which will go on for eternity. Amazing stuff. So what about this unusual one? My shepherd's not only the good shepherd, he's not only the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, my shepherd's the hound of heaven. Now Francis Thompson, this Catholic poet and mystic, he was pretty clear that sometimes we run or hide from God. Anyone ever run or hidden from God? Anyone doing it today? I'll just look around. The person on the back row that's just slid down their seat slightly, maybe it's you. Yeah, they're all sitting up straight like this now. Actually, sometimes we run or hide from God. David, as we'll see, certainly did. But listen to some lines from this poem, The Hound of Heaven. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind. And in the midst of tears, I hid from him. And under running laughter, Upvisted hopes I sped and shot precipitated adown titanic glooms of chasmed fears from those strong feet that followed. Now, I don't even understand some of the Victorian language, I'll be honest. But what I do understand is what Francis Thompson is depicting is this hound of heaven, the title of the poem, who is pursuing him, who's chasing after him, who's following him. Why? Because he loves him. The Hebrew word in the psalm, that we've got, surely your goodness and love will follow me. That word follow in the Hebrew, it's written in, in the original language, it's not strong enough. That's why the New Living Translation has it differently. Chases in the message, pursues in the New Living Translation. It's much more accurate. It's a, it's a dynamic word. God is actively pursuing you. Now, I'm, I'm going to lose some friends on this one. Would you turn to someone nearby and say, God's pursuing you? Whatever you do, if the person says, oh, no, he's not, don't turn it into a, a pantomime and say, oh, yes, he is. We're not in pantomime season yet. But that's what the poet tried to capture. Now, David was being pursued by God because David had done something terrible for the shepherd boy who became the good shepherd king, who's described as a man after God's heart. He commits adultery with Bathsheba. The story's there in 2 Samuel 11 from verse 1 following. And Bathsheba is married to Uriah the Hittite. And David has her husband exposed in battle by telling his officers to pull back and leave him exposed. So he's as good as murdered him. He didn't plunge the sword or the spear into Uriah, but Uriah is murdered. Why? Because David had got Bathsheba pregnant. He'd gone out, instead of going to war, he'd gone out onto his rooftop in the springtime when kings go to war, and he looked around and he saw this beautiful woman bathing naked. So it's not as if she was completely without, without guilt. It was in 
clear, visible sight, he could see how beautiful she was. But his guilt is that he breaks the commandment of God, he commits adultery, and then he tries to have, and he, he succeeds in having Uriah killed. It's terrible. And God still pursues him. Why? To crush him? To take out retribution? No, because he loves him. Because God's mercy pursues him. Because God's unfailing love pursues him. Because God's kindness pursues him. And he pursues him directly and he pursues him through a prophet. You see, David is confronted by a very brave prophet. Takes courage to say to your king, you've got this wrong. And Nathan the prophet in chapter 12, the following chapter after the adultery story of 2 Samuel, this is what happens. Let me read it for us. Chapter 12 of 2 Samuel, verse 1. The Lord sent Nathan to David, and when he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had, he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, it drank from his cup, and it even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveller came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveller who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and he prepared that for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against him and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. David's angry. Here's this story, this parable from Nathan the prophet. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then David, Nathan, said to David, you are that man. You're that man. And he tells him there'll be consequences of his sin, that the sword will not depart from his own house. I don't have time to go there. But we see what happens to David because David is immediately brought to his senses by the pursuing love and mercy of God. And we read in a psalm that was written at this time how much it was affecting him inwardly. So I'm going to read from Psalm 51 and verse 1. And just above verse 1 it says this, that for the director of music, this is a psalm of David when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So when Nathan comes and tells this parable, and David is broken, and he repents in sackcloth and ashes, he tears his robe and he fasts for day after day after day. Nobody can console him. He's heartbroken with what he's done to God, what he's done to Bathsheba, and what he's done to Uriah the Hittite, her husband. And he writes this worship song, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And in verse 7, he goes on to say, cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. You feeling a bit white like snow, rain? <laughs> Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. 
and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You see, when sheep, the sheep of the good shepherd Jesus, go wandering, they feel bad about it. If they keep wandering, they end up getting lost. They feel bad about it. And the God who loves them, sometimes it's as if his hand is heavy upon them. That's exactly what David felt. But listen to the way he describes the similar thing in Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions, transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord doesn't count against him. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. We call it a conscience. Deep down inside, if nobody else knows, we know. And sometimes it hurts. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. See, God's pursuing him in mercy and love. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. When I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity, I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord. You forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let the faithful pray to you while you may be found. You're my hiding place. You'll protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Do you know, we've all got enemies. David had plenty of enemies. Psalm 23 spoke about a, a table, a feast being set in the presence of enemies. You know, the last enemy that I think I face, face is death. Okay? I had a heart attack about a, just over a year ago. I'd had two TIAs before that. I'd laid on an operating table with skillful surgeons wide awake in both procedures. And when they whispered and lowered their voices and said, that's the vagus nerve. I whispered a prayer and said, Jesus, don't let them cut the vagus nerve. I literally was facing death on those two occasions. And that's still the enemy I faced. But guess what? Death's defeated. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death itself, if you're a believer, because death was defeated by Jesus' resurrection, you can know eternal life. I need to begin to move towards the latter part of this. The goodness and mercy and the unfailing loving kindness of God pursues us. God pursued David, as we've seen. Pursued him clearly with his loving kindness. God pursued a lonely Samaritan woman by a well. We read the story in John 4. I'm not going to read that for us. But this was a woman who's there at midday in the heat of the sun because she'd been rejected by her village. Completely rejected. And Jesus has gone to this well outside a town called Sychar, Jacob's well, in Samaria. He's gone there for the sole purpose of speaking to this woman, and her life is completely transformed. So like David, she's in sin. She's rejected for that sin by the townspeople. She's had many men. It's the only way she could afford to live. And yet Jesus speaks to her with love and kindness and compassion, and her life is transformed, and her town is transformed. Some of you will know the story of the God who pursued a despised tax collector called Zacchaeus who couldn't get in because people hated him because he was robbing them. And he was in cahoots with the Romans who were oppressing them. So the only thing he could do was go up a tree and look down on Jesus. Jesus singles him out in front of everyone and says, Zacchaeus, come down the tree. I want to have lunch with you today. A holy Jewish rabbi and teacher says to a, a, 
a scheming, Gentile-approving tax collector who's perhaps robbing people, I want to come and eat with you. It was unthinkable, and people hated Jesus for it, that claimed to be devout. But God was pursuing Zacchaeus. But most importantly of all, God's pursuing you and me. I'll push it for one last time. Tell someone different if you can. God's pursuing you. God's pursuing you. Just tell someone. God's pursuing you. And he's pursuing me for all the days of our lives, to the end of days. But what about eternity, which I've mentioned? What about eternity? Well, he pursues us and he overtakes our enemies. He overtakes our sin. He overtakes the enemy of all human beings, Satan, personification of evil. And he overtakes even suffering and death. And most of all, he overtakes the separation from God that will come if we don't put our trust in Jesus as a saviour. Because our sin separates us from a holy God who longs for us, who pursues us, who calls us by name and wants to come into our lives. But he gives us the free will to choose him or the free will to reject him. God's pursuing us. And I know you'll have heard the expression that you need to take a leap of faith. You don't. I don't know what you think of my flannel graph picture on the last slide, but have a look at it now. It's not a sheep, because uh, they've had a bit of a bad press. Our pastor has told us that sheep are smelly, and it's true, they are. That they're a bit stubborn, and they are. That they wander off, and they do. But you can't help but loving that little lamb, can you? So the little lamb for now is you. The little lamb is you. And you don't... Someone's struggling to believe that one at the back there. And you do not need to take a leap of faith, because... The good shepherd's reaching out. All you need to do is take a step into his arms. And his arms are wide open to love you, to welcome you, and embrace you. And it cost him something to love you like that. Because when he opened his arms wide at the cross, nails were put in there. That's how much he loves us. He was willing to die our death, take our place. So I'm going to read this verse again. Surely goodness and love will follow, chase, pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David's taken us from the shepherd fields to the feast banquet, from the sheepfold to the family of God, and from fear of the darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death, to faith. And if you can find it in your heart to put your faith in Jesus today, you will find that his arms are open wide. So what I'm going to do as I close now is I'm going to take this little Alpha booklet which Rain and Lauren and others were given at the Alpha course. And on page 22, there's a prayer there. If you'd like to take one of these at the end, come and get one if it'll help you in your own journey. Having been told that God's pursuing you, by a big, loud, extrovert, daft Yorkshireman called Clive. I'm going to read this prayer now, and if you would like eternal life, make it your prayer. If you would like a relationship with the loving God who's been pursuing you, and today's your day, step into his arms, and he'll wrap his arms of love around you. If you want to know that your sins, like David's, like Zacchaeus' sins, like that Samaritan woman are all washed away, wiped clean. 
then know that it wasn't the baptismal water. That's just a symbol of what had already happened, as Christ explained. But if you're ready for that, make this prayer yours. And it's a really simple prayer. It's a prayer saying sorry, thank you, and please. It's about saying sorry to God for the things we got wrong. About thanking God for the gift of his son Jesus who died for us. And it's about saying please come into our life. He's given you the free will. So I'm going to say the prayer now. You can make it yours. And then here's a way that you might want to respond. We're going to have all the eyes closed, please, during this prayer. And when I ask at the end, if you've just said it and meant it, just put your hand up in the air and there'll just be myself watching. I'll just acknowledge you can, you can put your hand down. Okay? So we'll close our eyes at the end. You'll have a chance to respond by raising a hand in the air. But we'll all say amen together if you're comfortable with that. Here's the prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. Just take a few moments now to ask for his forgiveness for anything particular that's on your conscience. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything that I know is wrong. And thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your Holy Spirit, your very presence that's been pursuing me to come into my life. I now receive that gift in faith. And please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. So with all eyes closed, and just so I can pray for you more specifically, I won't ask you to stand or come to the front or anything like that. If you've said that prayer and meant it, will you just put your hand up in the air now? Right, just keep, keep your hands up because there are a lot of hands up in the air around here. Okay, folks, just pop your hands down. Father, I thank you. I know full well some have responded for the second time or maybe for many times they've responded again today, but there are some people who've put a hand in the air. They have responded for the very first time and all the people who've responded, those who didn't raise a hand are precious in your sight. There's not a man or a woman here that isn't loved deeply by you. So, Father, according to that prayer, would you come now by your Spirit to any who've been wandering or any who've got lost and draw them into your arms of love? For those who've responded for the very first time, come in, Father, by your Spirit and fill them with your Spirit. Cleanse them of all sin. Help them to know the joy of forgiveness that David spoke of and lead them on into a bright future with you. All of these things we pray confidently now, Father, not because of who we are, but because we pray them in the name of the Good Shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ who pursues us with his goodness and mercy. Amen. Clive, thank you uh, so much. The big, daft, extrovert Yorkshireman spoke an awful lot of sense. 
Uh, Clive, we're so grateful for such a clear explanation of the gospel. We're going to sing a song together as we draw our time towards a close, and it's a song which has got a chorus that reminds us that we have a God who is running after us. He chases us. He pursues us. Let's stand together as we sing to close.
What a beautiful image. The image of a God who's chasing you, who's running after you. Why? Because he loves you. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you today that you can run faster and you can run more persistently than we can run. Thank you that you catch up with us. Lord, thank you that your ability to seek is so much greater than my ability to hide. Lord, thank you that your mercy, thank you that your grace are greater than the weight of my sin. Thank you that you can wash me whiter than the snow, that you can give me a pure heart. We have a God who chases, a God who calls. How will we respond this morning? We want to say we love you, Lord. We surrender. We walk into your loving embrace with arms stretched wide to hug us, (laughs) to tell us that you love us, to say that we're your special possession. We love you, Lord. We worship you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please do be seated. Well, that draws our time towards the close. Rain, it's been such a, an awesome celebration today. And can I encourage you this morning, if you responded to that prayer, to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior for the first time or again, uh, do pray with somebody, chat with somebody before you leave that you know and trust. I want to encourage you, maybe if you've prayed that prayer for the first time, come and have a quick chat with Clive afterwards. He'd love just to explain uh, a bit more the decision that you've made and maybe pray for you. And just a quick reminder, these books, these Why Jesus books are at the front and you're really welcome Uh, to come and take one. Oh, you're lingering, Dennis. I thought I felt a presence behind me. Go for it. (laughs) Um, I'll ask you my my true life story, um, which is very relevant today, and it's grabs my journey to my baptism. Uh, Some of you have heard the story, so forgive me for that, but many of you um, haven't. Um, In 2012, my beautiful wife suffered a a brain hemorrhage, which she finished up in a coma, which lasted 15 days. And the, the medical people, the experts at Southampton General, told me that she was finished. There was no future to the point when they asked me when I donated organs. I have nowhere else to turn except um, to God. And the Sunday morning before I came to church, I prayed like I've never prayed in my life before. And I took out my, um, my Bible, dusted it off, because I didn't read it very often, and opened it ran- randomly, and I opened it at the book of Daniel, chapter 7, sorry, chapter 10, verse 10. And this is what it said. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, 
You are highly esteemed. Consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up. For I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Now, the happy ending to that story is that seven days later she opened her eyes. And she restored that 85% of her life. Um, sadly, eight years later, she had another one and passed, but I had eight wonderful extra years. It's a gift of God, and as a consequence of that, I'm baptized. So, well done. Thank you. The God who pursues us. Hey, look, we're 15 minutes after time, which is fine by me. I get double pay um, from 11.15 onwards, which is great. Uh, it's not great for our kids' workers. So if you have got children out with the kids' workers, can I encourage you, please, uh, to go and collect them? Thank you so much for being with us this morning. Uh, thanks for joining in this great celebration. God bless you all. Have an amazing rest of your day. Thank you. My soul is unraveling, I choose you.